Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of being used effectively by God. God allows people and things to come into our life that we might deal with issues for His glory, for His purposes, not for ours. If I respond to God, then my life will be an asset to God. He will be able to use it. And God is there with open arms to use you tremendously, not just outwardly, but inwardly. He wants the whole of your heart. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Although most people only think about Jonah and his encounters with a big fish, the Old Testament book is much more a compelling example of God's love for even the most hated of nations. The Ninevites were particularly known for their gruesome cruelty to the degree that, to the average Israelite, the most logical object of God's wrath would be Nineveh. It's no wonder, then, that the prophet Jonah felt if he went to Nineveh, he would surely be killed. And even if he were successful in his mission, no one would rejoice at home that anything good had happened to these hated people. But the simple truth remains, as it always does, God's ways are higher than man's. As it turns out, it appears God had as much to teach Jonah as he did the people of Nineveh. Let's join Pastor Xavier in the conclusion of his expositional series of the book of Jonah. I've entitled the message, The Poisoned Prophet. In chapter 3 and 4, we have the preaching of Jonah to Nineveh and the preaching of God to Jonah. <laughs> the preaching prophet and the prophet who gets preached to by God. In chapter 3, verse 1 and 4, notice that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The first time that it came was in chapter 1 and Jonah did not receive it. He ran to Tarshish. But as we saw God pursuing the prophet and preserving him in the whale, here God once again comes to Jonah. We must learn from this second commission that God will continue to use us and pursue us and call on us to be used over and over and over again. Notice that it was the same call. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. But this time instead of crying, he says, preach to it. And he says, preach the message that I tell you. The scripture says he was obedient according to what God had called him, and he went. And so Jonah preached the word of God in verse 4. He began to enter the city from the first day walk, and he cried out, listen to the message. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. He goes through the city. Three days preaching the word. Beginning verse 5, we have the word and the Ninevites. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed the fast, and put it on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. They believed. That speaks of faith. The Bible in Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice they gave evidence of contrition and repentance. They fasted. They put on sackcloth, speaking of mourning, sorrow, denial. And it was from the greatest to the least. And so they demonstrated true evidence of contrition, repentance. Notice in verse 6 down to 9 that even the Ninevite king responded to the word he heard. He arose and did the same thing. He laid his robe aside and he put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is that burly uh, goat skin uh, that you put in inwardly so that it afflicts you, kind of bringing pain to yourself, demonstrating your own unworthiness, your sorrow. Notice that he tells his nobles and himself 
to make a decree that both man and beast are to afflict themselves, to deny themselves, and to give outward evidence to the message they have heard. And that everyone turn from their evil ways and from the violence in his hand. I've given you some background on their cruelty and warfare and everything. And, and here the king says, hey, listen, you have to repent of the evil you're into. The very thing that you have at hand right now, you have to let go of it. And so verse 10 says, then God saw his works that they turn from their evil ways. See, there's the condition. First they turn from their evil ways, and God relented from disaster that he thought and said he would bring upon them. He didn't do it. And so God's word is true to what it proclaims. If God allows the word of God to come to you and you turn and you believe it, then he says that he will forgive you and he will turn from the wrath that's upon you now. That's his word. He can't lie. And so the word and the Ninevites, they responded. But notice in chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, the Ninevites and Jonah. It keeps going back and forth. What a contrast. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. The contrast is between God's delight and Jonah's displeasure. God delights in putting away and destroying sin. Jonah delighted in putting away and destroying people. Does sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, if it's my sin, I can see why God will want to forgive it. And I'm glad for that. But when it comes to your sin, I'm not quite sure I want it put away. But it displeased Jonah. Literally, it was evil to Jonah, and he became angry. Three important things here. First, it reveals that his repentance in chapter 2 was not wholehearted, as we said. It wasn't wholehearted. There may be tears. There may be promises. But if there is no practical evidence of repentance worked out in your life, then it's not wholehearted. You say, but look it, he was used. Yep. That's the scary part. <laughs> but he wasn't right with God. Secondly, it reveals that outward evidence can be used by God, but it's no indicator of inner attitude. Because only God can detect attitudes and motives. You can be doing the work of God and being used by God with the wrong attitude. And in the Bema Seat of Christ, you and I will suffer all loss. The people will receive the benefit, but when we get up to God, nothing will be given to us for that work. Because God is not concerned with the work alone, but He's concerned with the attitude behind the work. You know, you're, most of your parents, you know that uh, the most important thing is to deal with your children's attitude. If their attitude can be corrected, the actions come about. But if you're only concerned with changing their actions, neglecting to deal with their attitude, then you're really just putting a band-aid on the, a scar that really needs surgery. Attitude is the most important. The attitude will determine everything you do and why you do it and how you do it and how God will respond to it. I mean, Jonah's going through. I mean, he's preaching the Word of God. He did according to the Word of the Lord, it says. People got saved, but Jonah didn't like that. He despised the work of God. Third thing it reveals is that you can have a call and gifts of the Spirit and not be open to the fruit of the Spirit, love. There are many people in church who are used of God mightily. And they're open to the gift. They're open to the call because it brings attention and prominence to them. But they're not open to the love of God. And people get saved. People get taught. God does a tremendous work. Who's God after? He's after the heart of that man. That's what God's after. The individual 
never gets lost in the crowds with God. Never. Now, you may get lost in here, but you never get lost with God. He knows you. He's after you. He wants your heart. He wants my heart. Now, notice that Jonah tries to blame God for his sin in verse 2. I know you can't identify with this, but just in case you ever do, I'll read it for you. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, was not this that I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. What was Jonah really saying? Jonah was saying, it's your fault that I've sinned even greater. I told you I didn't want to be here, Lord. You put me in that stinking well. You provided the transportation. What do you want me to do, walk back? What else do I have? I have no choice. I'll go through the city. Okay, I'll preach your word. I'll do your work. How many people are doing the work of God that way? As if they're doing God a favor. And he's actually trying to blame God here for his sin. It's almost like Adam. Adam says, it's the woman you gave me, Lord. It was a serpent. Satan attempted her. But really, now that I think about it, God, if you wouldn't have given me the woman, I wouldn't be in this mess. We look around and we say, man, if, if, if that person wouldn't have come in my life, I would have been okay. No, you wouldn't have been okay. You just wouldn't have known it. God allows people and things to come into our life that we might deal with issues for His glory, for His purposes, not for ours. And we have to be careful lest we end up indirectly blaming God, if not directly. Now, we're pretty slick, and we spiritualize it real good. But when you go right down to the heart of the matter, it's God that we blame. We're going to see that here. It's God that we blame. And we try to vent our anger on people because we don't have the courage to tell God. And you know what? I would rather you get mad at God and tell Him because He can handle it rather than people because sometimes they can't handle it. God understands my perverseness. My perverseness only magnifies the perverseness of others <laughs> because it causes them to sin. And here He tries to make God one with His sin. It's all your fault, Lord. He's quoting Exodus 34, 6. He knows. This is the reason why he ran. I knew you'd forgive him. I don't want you to forgive him. I don't want to be any part of the work of this person's life. I mean, fine, you want to do something, do it. But don't bug me. Don't ask me to do that. Isn't God lucky using us? Isn't that what we're telling him a lot of times? And yet, who is he after? He's after me. He's after my heart. Verses 3 through 5, Jonah's hate has consumed him. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You see, you can come to the place where you think that it's a lot better to die than to live. But he, he, he didn't see life worth living. Have you ever gotten to that place? Sometimes things happen in our lives. Sometimes situations get to such things. Oh, and the enemy's there to fire it up. And that's when I have to bring my thoughts into captivity and say, Lord, you know, you gave me this life for your glory. You saved me so you could live. And I turned to him for that wisdom, that discretion, that he might direct me. The Lord says, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Pointed question. Now, you think that Jonah doesn't answer it, but he does. Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. 
And there he made himself a shelter to sat under it and for the shade, that he might see what would become of the city. He did answer it. He says, you bet your life, God. My anger is justified. Notice the deception of the prophet at this point. He truly believes he's right. Have you ever been in that point? You're dead wrong, man. You're wrong. In every way, you're wrong. But you believe you're right, and nobody can show you different. And even God says, listen, are you justified in your own? Yep. Because you've lived in it so long, you have believed the lie. He doesn't answer, but he does answer. He goes out of the city, and he sits down after he makes a little booth, and just waits to see what happens. Jonah is no better now than he was when he was fleeing to Tarshish. He went from the presence of the Lord. He went from the place where God wanted him to be. Where did God want Jonah? He wanted him in the city. Where's Jonah going now? Outside the city. What's he saying to God? Hey, I'm leaving again. You don't have to go all the way to Tarshish. Just go outside the city. You're in the same place when you first began. No further. Same rebellion. Same disobedience. Same set will. Jonah's only hope was maybe God will change his mind. I'll sit around for a while and see if he doesn't wipe them out. Notice how his hatred for the Ninevites had affected him. That was all that he was living for at this point. Vengeance. That's the only thing that drove him. That's a sad commentary on this prophet. In verse 6 to verse 11, we get Jonah and the Lord. We saw the Ninevites and Jonah, not Jonah and the Lord. Isn't that usually how it ends up? When everything, it begins and it comes back full circle. It's me and God. <laughs> after all the arguments, after all the running, after all the stuff that goes through, I've got to come back to God. I've got to deal with God. Nothing else. And so the Lord prepared a plant and made it to come up overnight for Jonah that it might shade his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Take note that God uh, allowed this tree, whether it was, uh, they had different ideas what this, uh, some say it's a castor oil, palm, stuff like that, whatever it is. Maybe that would have been a bad idea, castor oil. Maybe that's a pun on there. And, and what, uh, all that uh, Jonah needed was just a, a good suppository to get him going. Um, but this uh, tough prophet, a real tough prophet. But notice one thing right here is that God prepared the plant. When the prophet is most rebellious, God blesses him. Now, don't tell me that God doesn't bless rebellious people. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Now, don't take that as a biblical principle that God wants to do, but God is sovereign. He does as He wills. Why? Because He's pursuing the prophet. He blesses him. But in this blessing, He desires to minister unto him. He's dealing with the prophet at this point in verses 6 and 8. The plant that He made was to shade His head, but don't be deceived thinking that it was solely to give Him shade, but it says, from His misery. It was to relieve him from his inner conflict of rebellion. God says, man, that boy is miserable. I mean, he's really having a bad time. And I'll give him some shade so, you know, it's bad enough he's going through that. And God was concerned about Jonah. Now, you know what you and I would have done? We would have turned up the heat. He said, let that guy fry. Probably bald head. Something <laughs> really get to him. And we would like that, see? That's man. That's not God. Notice also that this is the only time that we find that Jonah was joyful and grateful. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Both the sorrow and the joy 
that we find in Jonah's life was centered on self. Centered on self. He was a self-centered person. You're a self-centered person. Your sorrow and your joys will continually depend upon how everything affects you. What you're saying is that you are just the most important and the neatest person and you can't see why God doesn't work things out your way always. You hear me, Jonah? <laughs> Conflicting messages today over the pulpit. We're hearing a gospel that says love yourself. Be careful of that gospel. You need to look at yourself as the word portrays you. One, your sinfulness. Two, your saintliness. One, what you are in yourself. The other, what you can be in Christ. There's a great difference. Now in verse 7, the Lord prepared a worm as the morning dawned the next day, and it damaged or it consumed the plant. It withered. Notice that God had prepared a wind for the storm. He had prepared now a plant to shade him. He prepared a worm to consume it. You say, what in the world is God doing? That kind of sounds like what God is working in my life. You don't understand why, but see, God's behind it all. He's behind it. Verse 8, it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vitamin as when. The sun beat on Jonah's head and he grew faint. And so God now prepares his wind from the east, which is full of dust and scorching heat, and he couldn't take it. Yet every one of them was divinely brought about. God was in them. There are many divine miracles in this book. Storm, the great fish, the salvation of Nineveh, greatest miracle in the Bible, salvation. I don't care whether you're resurrected from the dead or whatever, the greatest miracle is salvation. Because that takes your decision, your will to respond to what you have heard by God. The plant, the worm, now the wind. They're all miraculous. They're all brought about by God. What's Jonah's response? It is better for me to die than to live. He's just a hard case, isn't he? But so are we. How often God has over and over and over again gone over the same ground, same territory, same difficulty. And God is so patient. He's so loving. Verses 9 through 11. God has dealt with Jonah. Now verses 9 through 11, God teaches Jonah. And this is the bottom line. God wants to teach you and me. He wants to get to my heart. In verse 9, God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now he repeats the question, but now regarding to the plant. And he says, It is right for me to be angry even to death. Third time. Jonah's still there. Now God, at this point, Jonah's hate has poisoned his perspective for all of life. And he was committed to live life out that way until he died. Is it possible for a man or a woman to do that? Yep. You can become so embittered, your hate contaminates you and poisons you so much that you can say, fine, I'll serve you, fine, I'll do this. But you know what? My attitude's not going to change till I die. And you can live a life in Christ miserable. Miserable. And that hate will poison your perspective for everything in life and for everything that God does. And when people tell you, oh, God did that, you go, so what? Oh, that's great. But here's something that God has done for you or wants to do for you that you go, oh, yeah, great. 
again, consumed in yourself. It destroys everything else. It just eats on it. And so in verse 10, but the Lord said, here's a great contrast. You have had pity or compassion on the plant for which you had not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. First thing that God wants to teach Jonah is, Jonah, you're more concerned about temporal things that don't matter rather than people who will perish eternally. First principle he wants to teach him. You're concerned about temporal things that make no difference instead of people who will go on to all eternity and they matter much to God. You see, God was trying to get Jonah to think like him, to look at things like him. Isn't that what the New Testament perspective is? Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus? How we see things, how we look at things, how we approach things. Jonah wasn't looking at those things. And then in verse 11, God makes the application that really just stabs the heart of the prophet. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between the right hand or the left hand, and also much livestock? The reference to left and right hand is somewhere in the age, maybe even up to six, seven years of age, something like that. Innocent children. Now the reference to the greatness of the city is relationship to innocent people. Children in this place. And so we see here, Jonah had to answer God. Whether God was wrong or right for his compassion and his forgiveness of the Ninevites. That's what God leaves Jonah with. No coincidence that the book finishes with a question because it's left there for every person who is a Jonah. They must answer that question themselves. As God says to you or to me, should I not pity those people, that group, that individual who you hate so much, they're going to go into all eternity. And the answer to that question will determine how I live my life out. Whether I still say, yes, I am right to be angry, and I am going to be angry till death. If that's my answer, then my life will be a terrible, terrible effect upon people's life. If I respond to God, then my life will be an asset to God. He will be able to use it. Let me leave you with four thoughts through the passage that we've looked at in these two chapters. One, God will use you, but it is no evidence that you are right with God. Never forget that. God will use you, but it's no evidence that you're right with God. Secondly, God's word is more important than the man. People got saved. Jonah was not right with God. God's word is more important than the man. Third of all, man's hatred will poison his life if not dealt with. Man's hatred will poison his life if not dealt with. And fourthly, God's love alone can change the man. I personally tend to believe that Jonah got the message because the question is almost rhetorical. The answer is obvious, yes. Now God asks you tonight, are you there? Then you need to respond. Hey, you may be as hard as Jonah. You've got a loving God who will pursue you. But make sure that you don't make light of your sin. And God is there with open arms to use you tremendously, not just outwardly, but inwardly. He wants the whole of your heart. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up his look into the book of Jonah with some challenging final comments in the surrendering of our will to the purposes of the will of God. And you may be interested to know this message titled, The Poison Prophet, is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study all over again and at your own pace, or perhaps pass on to someone else you know. So once again, the title to ask for is The Poison Prophet. Or you may simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com